Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Welcome to episode 66 of Legally Clueless. Who would have thought that we'd be so far? It means for 66 weeks, I have given you an episode. (laughs) So for somebody who in the past had an issue with consistency, like I always used to talk my way out of doing things or finishing things, I'm pretty proud that I've I've lasted this long. (laughs) Actually, this last week on my Instagram, I had like an impromptu Q&A about podcasting and somebody asked me why this podcast doesn't have seasons and why it doesn't go on breaks. It's literally because if I take a break, the chances that I will not come back are so high. (laughs) I don't know if you do the same to yourself, but I'm really good at talking myself out of things that I either really want to do or that I'm good at doing. I will find a way (laughs) to tell myself that I should not be doing it. So that's why this podcast is not going on a break anytime soon. That aside, I really hope that you are coping as well as is possible. Of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic, regardless of where in the world you're listening to this from, that has ripple effects on our jobs, on our businesses, on our interpersonal relationships. I mean, it's it's just so wild. And I, I, I will never stop saying this until, you know, we get to some form of normalcy. Episode 54 has some tips from a clinical psychologist that may ease in what you're going through at least as far as mental well-being is concerned so yeah check it out if you haven't listened to that episode i also want to thank everybody who is chatting me on the legally clueless hotline it is a buzz of activity <laughs> these people sending their story demos because they want to share their story on an episode but there's also people sharing music which is like a major love language for me. You know, you share music with people that you think are cool or that you dig. And so I don't take it lightly when you send me links to songs that you're absolutely loving. In fact, people send that so that I can put those songs as a song of the week. This particular person hasn't told me their name, but they have sent me a lot of music, some of which I've added to my own very many playlists because I'm just like, this is so dope. So the song of the week has come from one of you via the Legally Clueless hotline, and it's Hunger by Florence and the Machine. Such a beautiful song, an even more moving music video. It ends by posing the question, the music video, how many have to die so that you can feel loved? I don't know. It's, it's, I watched the video over and over and over again. So I'm going to put a link to the song in the description box. Check it out. I think it's absolute, it's, it's art. It's just art. I also have a soft spot for Florence and the Machine because I dated a guy. We're still very good friends to date. And he was the one who introduced me to Florence and the Machine. And I think there was once where, <laughs> I'm going to expose my age here. <laughs> It must have been a CD or did he give it to me on a flash disc? I can't remember, but he put a bunch of songs together. I'm assuming that when he listened to it, he'd think of me. (laughs) Or maybe it was just like, yo, I think the songs are cool. Check it out. (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe I was reading too much into it, but most of the songs were like Florence and the Machine songs. So yeah. So I'll always remember him when people bring up Florence and the Machine. But check out the song. It's actually really dope. Link is in the description of this episode. So this week has been <laughs> interesting. <laughs> So let me start with the good before I get into the tricky. So the good is that I am about to be an aunt. I wouldn't give any more details because I want to respect people's privacy, but I'm super excited about it. Like, I'm just like, ah, can't wait. Me, who is so petrified of um, babies. But <laughs> now that it's close to home, I'm just like, I can't wait. We spend the week kind of looking for gifts for the mother-to-be. That was actually quite fun. I also realized something that I knew from before, but like when you see the price tags and some of these things, kids are hella expensive. <laughs> oh my word. Hey! <laughs> but anyway, so that, that's been like a good highlight of my week just being there for the mother-to-be and having those conversations and obviously the excitement. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Now the tricky. I don't know if you're active on Twitter, but earlier this week on Twitter, one of my friends, and he started this conversation, I think a year or two ago, but he brought it back this week. And the hashtag is killer workplace culture. And basically people were just sharing their stories anonymously of being in jobs where the work environment is extremely toxic and how that affected them. Again, in the description of this episode, I'll put a link to the page, which is the Courage Stories page where people are sharing these stories. I mean, some of these stories are just oof. A lot. There's one of a 25-year-old who was working a very stressful job and he ended up being diagnosed with hypertension at 25. There's a lady who shared a story that her husband, who's a creative in an advertising agency, attempted suicide. There's some stories coming from the financial sector saying how people in their 30s were getting strokes, ulcers, cancer, you know, linked to the stress they were experiencing in their places of work. You know, there was another story where someone was diagnosed with severe depression and PTSD just based on their work environment, which is wild and it's so unacceptable. It, it shows that Yo, this this is a real problem and it needs addressing and we need management and anybody who in a workplace is in a position of leadership to really be mindful about the environment that their employees or their juniors are working in, right? I mean, even if you think about the efficiency of the business, you will not be efficient if your staff are battling various mental health and actually also physical health issues, right? So it's good business to have a healthy workspace. Anyway, so it, it really then inspired me to share about my story, which of course I've shared on this podcast before, but I'd never tweeted about it. I don't know why. I think, you know, there's like a slight fear of being blackballed in the industry, especially like the media industry. You're told how it's such a small industry. Even when you leave, you don't know when you'll come back when you'll need a job again and blah, blah, blah. So you, you, I don't know, maybe because of that, then I tried to just not overshare. <laughs> Obviously, in some episodes of this podcast, I have shared, but I, I consider this to be such a safe space for me. So. <laughs> so anyway, I was then moved to share my story on Twitter and just document how certain things affected me in terms of working, 
in a toxic environment what that did for me anxiety wise like my anxiety was whew, i was in a bad space in terms of my anxiety for sure um especially like sunday afternoons sunday mornings i would be cool let the clock just hit 2 p.m when i know crap monday's around the corner i would just get into this funk my stomach would be knots there was a point when I was really like constipated. Um, there were points where like my alarm would ring because I was working a really early morning shift. My alarm would ring and I would burst into tears or I would wake up like an hour before my alarm and just like lie there just dreading shit. We have one more hour until we have to go into that space. I remember one thing that would add unnecessary stress in an already toxic workplace was like managers trying to divide and conquer and pit people against each other. And it was just so overwhelming because managers are telling you something about people you work so closely with. And it's it's so unnecessary. And I always used to like vent to my sisters, my close friends, my partner. And I'd just be like, why can't we just come to work, do our jobs and go home? Like, what is all of this, all of these shenanigans, why? You know, I also on, on Twitter shared about how I was constantly sick. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but I remember the more I was aware of how toxic my workspace was, I would constantly be sickly. You know, like you have flu-like symptoms, but it's not a flu. Um, your joints are aching. My voice was constantly going which i learned later on was linked to my anxiety yeah i was just always sick and i, I would always be like oh you know i just have low immunity <laughs> you find all of these reasons because toxic work environments have been so normalized for us like work has to be a struggle yeah i don't know if it's a kenyan thing we've just normalized this struggle thing that you're like, okay, maybe this is how all workplaces are. Maybe I'm the one who's just being too soft. So you never think that this is a manifestation of your work environment. But the funny thing is, in terms of like my voice going, it's only happened once since I left my job. And that once was like two weeks after I left. <laughs> and even like flus and those funny, funny, like it's fluish symptoms. I haven't had those in a year, which is wild. And I just think sometimes we forget how our environment and the stress that we are consuming or the trauma that we're experiencing actually does manifest physically. It affects your physical health. It's not just a mental health thing. It affects your physical health as well. So I shared about that and I was just, it felt so good. It felt, although I was so scared initially. So even all my tweets I sent to my sisters, I was just like, have I said anything bad? Like, will there be a manager who reads this and just say, okay, I'm going to blackball this chick or I'm going to make sure she never finds any job in this media industry ever again? Because that's a thing. It happens, right? But my sisters were just like, no, you've not said anything wrong. And it's your story. At the end of the day, speak your truth. So I did. Yeah, because that's an actual fear. I know of people who left the industry to do their own projects or business businesses and they would get blackballed like in terms of like media coverage if your project needs that you just get blackballed by the industry and this is in Kenya yo like so it, it's it's a legit fear but I just I think it really shocked me how working in a toxic environment affected me like I I didn't I never expected it <laughs>
<laughs> I didn't think it could break me in the ways that it did. So again, if you check the description of this episode, there's a link to the Twitter page where people are sharing these stories anonymously. You can go and check it out. I did read up on a few tips. I found a few articles. So if you're in a toxic work environment, there are a few things that may help. You can try them out. One is taking breaks. So between the tasks that you need to do, if you are working in a place where you can leave the office, especially now because people are now slowly, especially in Kenya, getting back to working from their offices. If there's a way you can leave your desk, go for a walk outside the office in between all of your tasks, I've read that that could help. Making a to-do list in the morning when you get to work of the things you need to accomplish. So then you focus primarily on that. Also limiting the time you spend at the office. So come when you're contractually bound to be at the office and leave when you're contractually bound to leave. Avoid office gossip, which is a really key point that can really mess with your anxiety. I know where I used to work, there would constantly be gossip around, oh, there's a retrenchment coming. Oh, we're hearing they're dissolving this department. And that stuff really messes with you because every day you go to work thinking this could actively be my last day. There could be a retrenchment. And especially if you work in a space where they don't have good communication skills between management and employees, that gossip can mess you up. Don't take on too many tasks. I guess this is linked to learning how to say no and knowing your contract so you know exactly what your job description is. And when people try to give you more tasks, being able to stand up for yourself and say, hey, that's actually not in my docket. Another thing that I read is that you can identify the triggers in your office, right? And why this is important is so that you can avoid them if you can. So just identify if it's an individual, whatever the trigger is, so that you can try your best to avoid them or limit your interaction with them. If you can afford therapy, I would say therapy is is pretty great, but I do know that it's pretty expensive as well. But if you're in Kenya, there is a counseling hotline. It's a toll-free hotline, which is 1190. You can call and you'll be able to talk to a therapist. And then lastly, which is from my own experience, not just the articles that I read, you can try and start making a plan. And I guess this is for you if you are not bound to this job because I'm not ignorant to the fact that quitting a job or moving from a job is a luxury for some people or a privilege rather. So there are those people who maybe because of your dependence and things like that, you can't just up and leave this job. But if you're one of those people who that is a possibility, what helps me is yes, to feel the emotions, but to rationally start making a plan of how I can leave this toxic work environment. So in terms of like, this is how much you need to save. What's your plan to save it? This is the business that you want to set up. Researching on what equipment I would need and things like that. Making an actual plan and and taking the steps actually filled me with a bit of joy and a lot of hope. (laughs) And so even when I was in that toxic work environment, it didn't affect me as much as it did before I had a plan because I was just like, okay, well, I'm here because I just need to hit that savings goal. And once I do, I can actually get out of here. 
So those are some tips that I would share with you. And I really do hope they help. So on 100 African Stories in this episode, Janet shares a story that is so necessary. My God, it has everything to do with body positivity and just loving your body. Something that we speak a lot about in this podcast. And she shares so beautifully how her relationship with her body has changed from when she was a teenager, trying to be a model, to now when she's a mom and how that helps her make peace with her body. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. So my name is Janet. I come from Kenya. I Grew up in Mombasa, live in Nairobi, but yes, I am Kenyan. So when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I think I was between that phase of being a very awkward child who was made fun of all the time. And then suddenly there was this interest sort of like in my features and, oh, you're slim, maybe you should model. Oh, you've got nice hair. And I kind of started to appreciate, okay, maybe I'm not such an ugly duckling because I did grow up with a very weird sense of self and I was a tomboy and I was awkward and I was made fun of a lot. So 14, 15, it started to turn a little bit and I was like, okay, maybe I could do something or maybe I'm not as horrible as I thought I was or as ugly looking or whatever it was that would be in my mind. And so at the time, there was a modeling agency in my many visits to Nairobi because I was in Mombasa all the way through till um, sort of like later in high school. So even earlier in high school, when I'd be um, in Mombasa, we would visit Nairobi often. And this one time I was out and about in a shopping mall with my family. And this lady came up to me and said, hi, I'm, you know, I think her name was Liz. And she said, would you, have you ever considered modeling? You know, I run an agency, you should come by. And I was like, oh, that just happened. And so I said, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll go. She was legit. I mean, she even said hi to my parents and everyone. And she's like, no, 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 you can come and just check it out. And it is an agency that was pretty well known at the time. And so I registered and she said, there's no guarantee that you'll get work immediately, whether it's for fashion shows or whether it's for commercials. But now we have you in our database because I ended up taking headshots, ETC. So that was pretty cool. And I didn't really know what to make of it. I just thought to myself, this could be interesting. So we'll see what comes. And so a little further in, a little later on, I think I turned 16. And by this time I was now schooling in Nairobi. I was in boarding school. And so during half terms, midterms, ETC, we would stay with my parents. They'd come to Nairobi from Mombasa. So my brother and myself would stay with my parents either at a cousin's house or at a hotel or at a guest house. And that's when in between the holidays, I'd, you know, catch up with her on call, ask, has anything come in yet? She'd be like, not yet, but just be hopeful. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll just keep checking. <laughs> then the work started coming. I mean, the, the work, it was few and far in between in terms of the appointments. So one of them was, oh, we'd like you to audition for this commercial. The other was, oh, we'd like you to test for this fashion show. And that's how it was. That was my version of I'm modeling, even though nothing was really fully booked. There was some kind of promise. And so during this time, I was sort of like in between high school and self-discovery and all of this and finally finding a way to appreciate the way that God made me. And there was 
a confidence in me that I hadn't quite experienced before. It could have been because of this agency and the work I was doing, or it could have been because I was having very important conversations with my parents, especially my mom, about identity. Because while I was in high school, I was a you know student council representative and house captain, and so I was car- carrying a lot of responsibility. And then I was getting pushback from the school administration, who was starting to call me like a rebel leader and somebody who was trying to start a revolution, and it became pretty crazy. And so bringing it back to the conversations I started having with my mom, she was like, you know, sometimes when something is placed upon you, you have to, you will be persecuted. So just do you. So that combination of having these conversations of this is your personality, appreciate it. And having some kind of work in this agency was starting to make me feel like I could try out new things. And so this one time the agency said, Hey, there's this huge sort of like I think it was a workshop. There's a workshop happening. We're calling in everybody who's in the database. And this agency had a lot of women and men in their database who were doing a lot of work in, in, in Nairobi at the time. Work that a lot of us would see, whether it was in TV commercials, magazine work, fashion shows. And she said, I need all of you to come for this workshop. Um, and the whole idea is you'll just get a brief about what to expect in the modeling industry, whether it's in Kenya, whether it's abroad. It's just a very good workshop to attend and ask your questions. And I remember her saying, bring your best self here. Like this is your chance to really shine because the people hosting the workshop have done work in different parts of the world. So yeah. And so I walked into the room. It was in Nairobi. I think it was in Lavington, which is a, a sort of like suburban area in Nairobi. It was in a house and we were many, I think we were like, we must have been between 60 or 80 of us in that session. And this is, I'm talking about people I'd seen on, you know, on magazines, people I'd seen in TV commercials, but I said, it's okay. See, I was told to bring my best self and I belong here. Yes, I belong here. So who was in the room was one guy that I, he, he was, and yeah, he was just life. He was also a very popular model at the time, but we'd become friends. And so I'm like, not only is he fine, but we're friends. I'm going to impress. I got this, Janet, you got this. And we're sitting together and finally the workshop started. And the funny thing is, Adele, is it, it's, <laughs> it was hosted by somebody who is well known, but whatever, I let that slide. <laughs> so she started this. <laughs> and this is somebody with, you know, sort of like grown up seeing, anyway, whatever. So she starts the workshop and she's sitting alongside somebody else who's also well-known. And the third person now had come from outside the country. So it was a pretty powerful panel. And they just wanted to hear where we were at in terms of where are all of you in this journey? What does it mean for you? Is it a means to an end? Is it just a platform to do something else? So it started pretty well. They started by talking about the experience. And then they started going around to ask each of us, okay, what's your name? What are you doing in regards to passion or modeling or whatever it is? And where do you hope to to be in future. So because this room also had people who who had been doing incredibly well in this journey, somebody would say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I've done, you know, 16 fashion shows, three commercials, and I'm planning to like live in Milan and have this amazing future. And then everybody's clapping. You know, the other person says, you know, I'm so-and-so. I've done a couple of commercials. I'd love to end up doing TV and radio. So that was the kind of conversation. But a lot of the women were talking about being in in runways in London and Milan. And I don't know whether that derailed me (laughs) because I, I genuinely didn't have an answer. I really didn't. I was just in this room and I thought, because I hadn't fully understood or committed to what my future with modeling was, I just didn't know. So when I heard everybody saying that, it came to me. They're like, yes, tell us about yourself. I said, I'm Janet. I'm, I've done a couple of auditions. I've done headshots. I can't wait to be in a couple of commercials. And I also can't wait to walk the runway in London and New York and Milan. And she was just like, she literally said, you're going to have to pack that dream by the way, she hadn't even given anybody else black. So I really took this person. She's like, you, you're going to 
you're not going to make it in the international runways. You are too short. Um, I remember that her saying that you're too short. You don't seem to have what it takes. Again, very vague. I don't know what that means. And so if I were you, I would just review this whole thing, review whether this is really the career that you want for yourself. Okay, sit down. Let's hear from the other person. <sighs> Why? <laughs> and you know, the craziest thing, Adele, is that the room fell silent. And that's why I remember it like it was yesterday. I even remember, I think I was in a cream top and black trousers. Just those days you remember. And so I was very confused. And so there was this awkward silence and everybody looking at me with their eyes sort of saying, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, but just sit. <laughs> because she said you sit. <laughs> that really, it hit me. It, it hit me in my gut because remember, I'd grown up just being made fun of. And I think a lot of those things came back of, you really are not good enough. You really aren't pretty enough. Like this was just, good luck. And now it's come to hit you in the face. And so drop it. And the, the saddest or maybe greatest thing about that moment is that really was the time I dropped any ambition of wanting to do anything in modeling. Even though very shortly after I booked a commercial, I just said, I, I don't want to go through that again. So that's what happened that day. So she said, sit down. And the next person was told. And the next person was this guy, friend of mine. And so he continued and everybody did their bit. And after that, we took pictures and everybody went home. When everything was over, she said, I can see a lot of you having a very bright future. You know, just keep at it. Keep doing your test shots and keep walking your runways. And I can see a bright future. I can also hear my child cry. I didn't talk to anyone. It's a habit that I developed early on, which I just think is, <laughs> it's an issue where I just tend to, I'm like, it's under rug swept. That didn't happen. The, the, the denial kicks in. I just remember feeling very lost because I didn't know. I was like, I thought I had figured out or starting to figure out who I am, but now I'm just trying to understand what I can make of myself because it was very important for me to be, you know, house captains, school captains, student council representatives, and then know my future and build on it. And I'm 16 and I just don't know why I put all this pressure on myself. And I thought this mm -hmm. was going to be a really good add-on to say, oh, I also dabble in modeling. Um, so for some reason, I felt, first of all, I just felt very, I felt attacked because it was very, the way she said it was very, it was very personal. It was very, very personal and I didn't understand why. So I felt attacked. I started to feel like maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not cut out for, you know, doing anything other than just going to school and finding a regular job. So there was all those kinds of thoughts in my head. And maybe I'm just not good enough. I remember that kept playing over and over again. But I pretended like everything was fine. I didn't talk to anyone. And then that juxtaposed with, I really feel awkward and strange and maybe I'll amount to nothing. It's just a very strange war within myself. And so every time there were those things that were said or done, they always triggered me going right back into, I really am not good enough. So whether it was my former headmaster at the time who, you know, accused me of trying to lead a rebellion in the school and just told me that I was not fit for leadership or whatever it was, or that I was using it the wrong way to whether it was this lady then telling me, just pack your dreams. Those were all these triggers for me to be like, maybe all this is in my head that I can make something of myself. So that I remember being a very big trigger in terms of my femininity. I was this tomboy who was always made fun of for my heavy voice and being weird and scrawny. And then suddenly it's like, I'm reminded, no, but you don't have what it takes to um, model or to do anything in this industry. Like, why would you even imagine that that's something that you can do? So it always took me mm -hmm. back to that corner and almost... Um, reminded me like, yes, everything you've done, you've been winging it, but you're actually not good enough. So just sit in your corner. In terms of body insecurity, this, it actually made me feel like maybe if I was, you know, thinner or maybe if I was taller 
um, because everybody around me in that room looked, most people anyway, looked a certain way. Um, my height for a period of time became this thing where I, I just castigated myself. Like if you were just a bit taller, maybe then you wouldn't have gotten that comment. Or if you were a little bit thin, and remember I'm thin, like at this time I was still quite thin and slim and I never had an issue with it. But now I thought, oh, maybe I just needed to be a little bit slimmer or maybe I just needed to be a little bit leaner and taller. So that persisted actually for quite some time, all the way through till uni, um, until I came back um, to Kenya and then started kind of just making peace with with my body, because now in uni in Malaysia, again, I was reminded, oh, I wish if, I, if only I was a little thinner, then I could fit into this thing that is beauty. If, I, if only I looked a certain way, if I was a little leaner and taller. So that persisted for some time. I didn't usually vocalize it, but because of everything that would be said around me or done, because again, in uni, I dabbled a bit in these little like fashion shows, they always needed a token black girl. And so me and my three friends, always the token blacks all the time. And, you know, you go for a fitting and you're told, oh my God, you have really wide hips. And I, I mean, I was what, 21? It's not like my hips were that wide. But then again, you're reminded, oh, if only you were a little bit extra this or a little bit less that. So that persisted for quite some time until I just made peace with my body. I think I made peace with my body when I had my children. So it still stayed for a while. I think because I felt like my body had gone through this incredible thing, um, and burst these incredible human beings. So with Huru, it was just, it, it was still a little bit there. Like I wanted to snap back, like, hey, people have children and they just go right back into being lean. I must exercise and do all these things. So that was still a little bit there, but I felt better. I just felt like, oh, it's okay. It's not as obsessive as it may have been at some points. After mm. Mali, I just said, no, no, no. Your body just needs to do what your body needs to do. So just relax and work with where it's taking you and just... Be good to it, be kind to it, eat well, exercise when you can, but you don't have to fit into a certain stereotype or or preconceived notion of how people need to view you. So it took, took a bit of time. When I think about it, and this is going to sound so weird, I remember when I was pregnant with Huru and I was still on TV and I was getting a lot of body shaming for being pregnant and on TV, which I'll never understand to date. It made me almost start to embrace it more. So I remember at the time I started wearing things that were more snug like almost as a in your face, let me show you how very, very, very pregnant I am. I remember even my bosses are like, what is going on? I'm like, no, I will show them that this is absolutely normal. So that was because before I would wear maybe like more sort of like loose fitting outfits, but then I got appropriate maternity wear that it doesn't mean like I was squeezing my stomach, but it just means it was more pronounced. So that's something I started doing. <laughs> and then I even did a crop top with my pregnancy for a magazine shoot, which the magazine at the time told me nobody had ever done that. I'm like, then let me be the first. So <laughs> I think I started really showing, it was almost like me saying to the world, no, this is something that's very natural, something I'm very proud of. And you're trying to set me back by saying I'm being whatever it is in your mind that you think I'm being. So no, this is me embracing this journey, this process. Maybe that was one thing, but I find what's very interesting over time is that the ways that I feel most maybe beautiful or confident or um, what's the word? Ah, is, is when I wear modesty wear, which I don't really understand where that's come from. So doing my head wraps make me feel absolutely amazing or wearing something that's completely yes it fits really well and it holds me well but it still kind of covers me and I'm trying to understand what that means because lately that's what I've been doing and I feel amazing and I feel and so I don't know whether it's just 
a phase or whether I just absolutely love how modesty wear tends to look when it's done right or whether it's something else. <laughs> but that's kind of mm. the space I'm in right now. And I just need to interrogate it more. It's it's such an individual choice. And it's funny you're asking this, Adele, because I've been trying to look around and see, or even if it's people I know and and trying to observe when you're at a certain place in your life, I think a lot of the time it's whether or not you think it or know it, it shows mm. in the way you carry yourself and in the, the, the clothes that you wear, which I think there's a story there. Like I said, for me, I'm, I'm not sure where, where that space has come from, which is when I wear a head wrap and I have dope makeup and a nice pair of long earrings, I just feel like a queen. I, and it's got nothing to do with, oh, I'm trying to, to cover. I almost just feel more in charge when I do. And it might have something to do with um, my history or my relationship with my hair and my body. My hair has also been a very big tool for conversation in my life because it's it's really like even now it's really, really long. And so even at the mm. time when I was dabbling in modeling, they would always be like, oh, we need to put her in something for hair. I'd be like, oh, my hair. And now suddenly I'm covering my hair. So I don't really know what it means. I just know that it doesn't mean I hate myself. It just may mean that I'm trying to reintroduce myself and my body, body positivity back to myself in a way that works for me that may not make sense to the outside world. Because the other day, somebody actually asked me based on my social media post, they're like, I don't remember the last time I saw your arms or your hair because <laughs> you're always in a head wrap or like you're covered all the way to your neck or you've got long sleeves. And I was like, actually, that's true. And I don't really mm. know where it's coming from. It could be that there's a little battle within myself that I'm still trying to understand. But then why do I also feel incredibly beautiful when I dress this way? It's so mm. strange. So I don't really know. I think I just need to, I need to have another meeting with myself about it. So for me, in terms of affirmation, I've really come to a place where I'm like, this is a work in progress. And there's such a connection between mind, body, soul. So if one thing is, if there's something missing, it'll affect the other. So I don't look at it as just my, my body or myself. I say, okay, you're being triggered because of this thing that happened or this thing that was said. Mm -hmm. So address that. And every time I do, every time I address the root cause of why I'm feeling a certain way, I don't feel so bad. It even comes back to how I feel about my body. I'm like, okay, I still have goals. I need to get there, but it's not a, it's not a train smash anymore. Maybe that's age. Maybe that's wisdom. It could be a thing about just growing older and just feeling like this is not the most important thing in the world. As long as you're healthy and happy and you're trying to address the triggers, that's important. So yeah, there's that affirmation. It's just like, it's, it's okay, sis. Like you're, I think mid to late thirties just did something to me. I still have days where I'm, I'm down or don't feel great, but then I remind myself that it's completely normal. So I try not to get sucked into, oh, if only you would, you looked this way, then this wouldn't happen to you. If only you, you, you were this kind of person, this wouldn't happen to you. And it's just more about saying, this is literally just work in progress. Um, and I just try and doll myself up sometimes. It makes me feel good if I'm doing something, even in quarantine, like today I'm dolled up. Just because it just feels good. <laughs> or I just wear my favorite knit sweater, even if I'm in the house and have my favorite cup of tea, just a lot of self-care in whichever way I can. Are there days mm. that I feel weird about my body? Absolutely. Like you, it's when I'm on my periods or it's when I, I maybe if I'm, hey, how do I say this? Sometimes I blame myself for things that have happened in my life. And it's something I'm really, really trying to work on. And sometimes I categorize that with maybe if I, if I look, this way if I dressed a certain way then this may not have had to happen it gets so bad that I literally break down and cry but it's less than it's been I guess it's 
because I've understood where that trigger stems from, I'm now addressing the triggers very aggressively because sometimes it can lead me to a very dark place where I say, yeah, maybe these things have happened to you because you could have dressed a certain way. Maybe this is the response you've gotten or you, you could have looked a certain way or you could have managed your body better, whatever it is. And those are triggers and they lead me to a very bad place where I get a lot of anxiety. I get mild depression. And so I'm just really unlearning so many things I had truly believed about myself for a long time. And I believed these were some of the reasons why life was treating me a certain way, especially when things were thick or especially when I was being, when there's gaslighting or when there was an assault on my system. That's such a work in progress. I'm literally knee deep in that unlearning every day. And it's, there's times it's pretty hard, but there's other times when I say, this is the only way to get out on the other side is by unlearning, by affirming things about yourself, by being grateful, by being very present, especially when it comes to being with my kids, because I also need to make them see, I don't want them to have a picture perfect version of life. And I don't want to be mm -hmm. looking like a step forward in front of my sons. And they're like, oh, that's what it means to be a lady. Or that's what it means to be, you know, in Ah, you just somebody like Huru, he picks up on all these things. He'll be like, there's times he'd be like, oh, I, you know, you're, you're wearing makeup today. Is it because you're going somewhere? I'm like, no, sometimes I just like to wear it when I'm in the house. So even trying to teach them. So there's a lot of unlearning and relearning that I'm constantly doing right now that affects my body, my mind, my soul. Um, and it's just a work in progress. I think it's just day at a time. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. Oh, man. I think that that's such a necessary story and I'm just so glad that she told it because we have such complex relationships with our bodies. There's so many things and people and experiences that influence whether we're going to love ourselves as we are, whether we think we're enough, whether we're going to try absolutely crazy things to alter how our body looks like. And I also found it so beautiful that she said that motherhood helped her be at peace with her body. Because I think mothers, especially right after giving birth, society has this strange, harsh, unattainable standards that they set for. You got to snap back and all of these things. And I'm like, this body just gave life, which is beautiful but it's also a lot for a body to go through right can you just cut <laughs> mothers some slack and stop setting expectations for them in terms of their bodies i remember a couple of episodes back i think when i first had linda nyangwes on the on the podcast I did share about my own journey with like my body. I have scars at the back of my leg, although right now I'm using a lot of shea butter um, on my skin and I'm noticing that it's really helping my scars weirdly. I don't know. It's really helping my scars kind of not disappear, but it's, is it toning them out? I don't know what the word is, but there's something happening, I think, because of the shea butter. But yeah, I'm still very conscious about them. And there was a point back in the day that I was very conscious. So I would never wear short sleeves and I would I would never show my legs. So even when I wore shorts, which I absolutely love, I would wear stockings underneath my shorts. It did not matter if it was in the middle of that January heat that hits Nairobi. I would be in my stockings. I never used to swim as much, which is crazy because I grew up swimming competitively and I love swimming. But because it would mean that I would have to show my legs and my arms, I'm just like, oh, not so much. I think it also influenced, you know, my relationships. If I think back, I've not been in too many relationships, <laughs> but I think 
there are like two where I think my very first relationship, I was just like, yo, there's no physical aspect to this relationship. Um, not because I was brought up in the church. <laughs> <laughs> but because I was just like, oh man, I've got to show my legs and my skin to this person. And ugh, I, it means I'm ugly because of all of these scars. But there were also, I, I think there's one relationship where I remember the person I was dating was so invested in my healing, um, which I'll always be thankful for. So that was really good. And I, I think if you're in a relationship, be mindful of your partner's insecurities and really just support in, in, in trying to get them to a space where they love the vessel that they're in. But I'm proud to report that I started working on my body, <laughs> working on loving it, working on just appreciating that this body has really taken me through battles, some even physical, and it's brought me out okay, right? It's this protector and I really should just embrace it. So in terms of like my skin and stuff, I wear whatever the heck I want now. And for years, I used to like see all of these beautiful dresses. Well, you know, the short, short ones, <laughs> not gowns or anything or shorts. Like I love my shorts. So now I wear them like even when it's cold, I'm just like making up for all the time. I was too conscious of my body to wear these things so it could be cold as hell and I'm there in my booty shorts <laughs> reclaiming my body but yeah I, I do also have my down days on my period weeks Ugh, I'm just like it would just look at look how you look you know but I I don't allow them to last too long just because of how liberating loving my body has been I hope you at least start, start small in trying to appreciate the vessel that you're in. So remember, you can um, share your story on this podcast. All you have to do is send a one minute demo telling me about the story that you want to share. And then we'll take it from there. I'll make you some story prompts and then we will schedule a time where I can record your story remotely. Cool. So the podcast number plus 254-768-628-790. So just on WhatsApp, send a one minute audio note or voice note about the story you want to share on the podcast and we will take it from there. Thank you so much to everybody who has shared their demos so far. There are so many and they're so powerful. Some of you are allowing yourselves to be so vulnerable in this space. I am so honored to be able to hear your story. Another thing on the podcast hotline, you can also share music that you want to see or rather hear. <laughs> it's a podcast. Um, you want to hear as a song of the week or you want to share with everybody who listens to this podcast So send me links to those songs that you feel pretty attached to or have touched you in a certain way. Ugh, that sounds weird. <laughs> Maybe not touched you in a certain way, but like, you know, moved you. That's what I mean. And then lastly, join the tribe on Instagram. It's such a cool space, man. Head over to at Legally Clueless Podcast. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode. 